Hello and welcome to Thinking Religion. I'm Thomas Whitley. And I'm Sam Harrelson. Welcome back, Sam. It's been, we're just saying, almost a month. Yeah, it's been a while. Lots of big things since have the happened, last Thomas. show. A lot of big things. It's been kind of crazy. This is how it happens, but we we are committed, and I think and this kind of iteration of thinking religion, we've been more committed than ever since we started this in what two thousand nine or two thousand ten, off and on, and we've done I think a pretty amazing job of being consistent this time around. <laughs> well, and maybe I, I shouldn't like say that. Maybe this is going to jinx it, and now like the new year is going to screw everything up, but. No, I think we're good. Or I think maybe uh, a new baby. No, no, it's we're we're still podcasting, and this is a good good break. And you can podcast with with babies. We do have a new baby, have a little baby boy, which is exciting and lots of fun and uh, exhausting. But you know, he's here. Yep. And they're the puppies. The pups, the pups are still here too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. And, so every morning would... when I wake up about six a.m. or whatever, sometimes earlier, oftentimes later, uh, I'm. I have on my phone notifications from Sam, like, you know, on my blog. And he's like, you know, oh, 3 a.m., you should get a Kindle Paperwhite. <laughs> Stuff like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, new dad. Yep. I, I, so as a much lot as of, I so rail against the Kindle. Stuff yeah. coming from, from Sam in the middle of the night. So it's funny <laughs> because last night, you know, as we're not supposed to do, right, I sleep with my cell phone next to my, you know, on the nightstand next to my bed. My wife sleeps with hers on the nightstand um, on the other side of the bed. Um, and last night she was like, oh, you know, she could see the lights. Oh, somebody's blowing you up. So I looked at what it was. And, um, she was like, maybe you should turn that over. Cause last night somebody was blowing you up at like 4 a.m. I was like, hey, it just happens. Right. But it loves me so it's, much. It's, yeah. It's generally <laughs> Sam. Right. It's like, you know, tweets from Sam or, you know, whatever texts or emails. Um, it's generally from Sam all through the night. So, <laughs> well, you know, I got to have something to do when I'm, feeding the baby or you know up late and and trying to keep the baby from waking up mommy um yeah i'm sure your wife is my biggest fan right now but right (laughs) as always so you went to sbl i did i went to uh this is uh a or sbl and a hundred ever acronyms it's the joint meeting of the american academy of religion and the society of biblical literature um it is I don't know. Some people call it like Bible con or whatever, right? Um, which is not good. Like, we don't all study the Bible. I uh, thought there was going to be a terrorist attack uh, during SBL this year. There was. There, well, there wasn't a terrorist attack. But but there was, yeah, we were getting, like, notifications about, um, I don't know, threats that were made kind of in the Atlanta area. I think it was related to some sporting event that was going on. Not, a not WWE event, like a wrestling. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It was, I was going to say wrestling. But I, I wasn't sure. That's right. It was exactly right. Yeah. No, I don't like nobody was trying to attack the gathering of you know uh, religion scholars. Well, a couple of people I follow on Twitter uh, that that we're all friends with um, were, were tweeting about it, and they're like, oh, you know, oh gosh, gulp. Like, should I be concerned about this? Like a uh, dying sparrow and a couple of other. Yeah. Guys. Right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that that was pretty funny. Oh, not funny. I mean, it's it's terrible circumstances. <laughs> yeah, funny from afar, right? Funny from funny here, others? Columbia. Right. <laughs> right. All those religion scholars having to yeah. think about, like, you know, real-life terrorism or whatever. But, uh, yeah, but anyway, it was yeah. it was a fantastic conference. Um, Atlanta is a fantastic city. The part of Atlanta that we were in is maybe not the best for, like, good eating and kind of that stuff. But, you know, it's hard, particularly coming from San Diego last year. We were in the gaslight, or what is it, gas lamp quarter, and it was 
just fan. I mean, you can't beat it, right? Just absolutely perfect. Uh, so that's hard in large cities. The convention areas are always kind of, eh, you know, a lot of what what part uh, were you guys in? Like Peachtree Center area. Oh well, that's right downtown. Yeah, and like Peachtree. Yeah, it's right downtown, so that's nice. And Peachtree yeah, Center varsity. is nice, and uh, <laughs> but not walkable to the varsity. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my wife and I stayed down there for uh, CBF National uh, last fall, I think. Last no, this summer it was a. Uh, july or something june july and yeah it i mean there there are fun bars but there's not really a whole lot of uh it, it's not like, not like the gaslight <laughs> district in san diego right no not at all which is just yeah i mean you yeah. can't beat it so um but no it was it was a fantastic conference i was insanely busy i only went to like a couple actual sessions what was your favorite session um so, uh, if I can ask, I mean, that's that's Marginalia brought in Mallory Ortberg, right? Co founder of The Toast, fantastic online feminist magazine. Um, and my good friend Krista Dalton, um, hosted the panel with Mallory Ortberg and, um, oh, what are the other, the other two names? I can't think of the other two ladies that were there. Um, I saw the pictures, but. I mean, it was just absolutely, it was, you know, on feminism, and it was really fantastic. They started, um, Mallory, one of the other uh, panelists, opened with a dramatic reading of Mallory's piece on the toast uh, called, My Female Students Don't Seem As Impressed With Me As They Used To Be. And it's, you know, basically, you know, a tongue-in-cheek piece about, like, two old white professors sitting around drinking you know, lamenting that their female students are no longer like ooing and aahing over them, and it it was uh, it's brilliant and it was absolutely hilarious, and I had the whole room you know kind of in stitches. Um, that might have been my favorite session. I mean, so it was not really actually really related to the larger conference at all. <laughs> um, anti-white, anti-male, got it. Do what I said. Anti-white, anti-male, <laughs> right, anti-old yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, which is what the rest of the conference. Kind of is. Um, <laughs> right. like cargo pants, man. Cargo pants. Theologians. <laughs> and yes, cargo. I was tr- I was texting with Sam about a guy that was legit presenting in cargo pants one day, and yeah, that's all we'll say about we that conversation. <laughs> but um, so that that was really great. There was another one actually that um that my friend Krista was also our board. Um, I'm on the student advisory board for the SBL. Um, and Krista is as well, and then uh, also Aaron Walsh at Duke. Um, Krista and Aaron put together a panel on uh, like feminist scholarship and late antique studies, huh. and so it had like uh, Liz Clark from Duke, who is just amazing, and Elizabeth yeah, Castelli, she's amazing. And Carrie Schroeder, friend of the show, right? We've had her on before. Carrie Schroeder was on the Carrie, panel. Carrie Schroeder, how do you sp- I Schroeder? Heard of yeah, her. how do you? Sp- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and that was that was a really a really great panel too. Um, so yeah, other than that, I mean, I went to things I had to because of my board responsibilities, meetings and things like that. And honestly, I spent a lot of time meeting people in real life that I know virtually, and that was fantastic. That's always the coolest part about that. Was kind of the theme really of my of my meeting this year was how many people I got to meet in person that I had never met IRL before. Well, that, that's and, a point, Thomas. Like you feel like you're. Do you feel like you're actually making it now in in the industry? You know, now that 
you don't feel like you have to go to every session in order to get something out of the conference where you can kind of sit at the hotel bar and let people come to you and say, I'm Thomas so, Whitley. Yeah, like half of Saturday was that for me. Yeah. And that was really great. But I don't know that I would say I'm, I feel like I'm making it, mainly because <laughs> I don't have a job yet. <laughs> so there's that one little... Thomas at thomaswhitley.com. <laughs> yes, um, please, available for hire. Um, but no, that was... That was a great, the other, I mean, one of the other great things kind of on this question of like making it was I was honestly shocked by how, by the number of people that I'd not ever met that, you know, said to me at some point in the conference, you know, I love what you're writing for Marginalia and like all this stuff. And so it's kind of like, man, like people are reading what I'm writing. I might need to put a little bit more thought into this sometimes. Isn't that weird? Um, Isn't, I mean, but it is. So it's like now I'm kind of like a public person now. I mean, you know, in a really small, like tiny niche environment. Yeah. Um, It's, it's strange. I mean, the first time I ever got that, I was sitting at a, I was at a marketing conference and it was 2007 and I'm sitting at the bar and I think I was in Las Vegas and this attractive person runs up to me and like hugs me and says, Oh my gosh, you're Sam Harrelson. I've seen your picture and I I read your blog and it's great. And I I love what you write. And can I take a picture with you? And I thought, who the heck are you? And like, (laughs) what is this? So the the guy I was sitting with kind of looked over and he's like, see, I told you people read your stuff. You got to be careful. And it, it makes you kind of self-conscious in a way that is good and bad, but it's, it's very strange. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, yeah, I, th- I think in a good way, right? In that it forces you to think, to like strive to continue to produce good content. I, th- well, I think or, or either that's it's a good thing, but yeah, you know. or either get like you get like the the Kurt Cobain, you know, Nirvana type mentality where it's I just want to do what I'm doing. I don't want anybody to notice me. I just want to make my music and get paid a little bit of money for it, maybe. And if you notice me, then you suck and don't call me out on it. And I'm just going to play yeah. my rock and roll, you know? Yeah. So you, well that, you get both yeah and that's not my, that's just not my attitude toward it. I, I mean, I write what I write because I think people need to hear what I have to say. I mean, that's a pretty vain thing in and of itself, I think. But, um, so I don't know, I don't, but I don't take for granted that people are going to read what I write. So I think like I need to keep producing stuff that is good and that makes people think or makes them ask questions they hadn't thought about before. Um, or puts into words something that, you know, a thought they had, but that they couldn't put into words, right? That kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, I want to be noticed, right? I, I, and, and two, I think this, I don't know. I also have a little bit of doubt about this. I don't want anybody to see what I'm doing. I completely believe that a lot of people think, like, I want to do my thing, and I and I have my thing I want to do, and I don't want that to be compromised. But this idea of, like, I don't want to be noticed is, yeah, I don't know. Might be a little bit of false humility. Um, well, especially in your line of work, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, not to not to be brash, but part of being an academic, in some ways, is your contribution to the greater body of knowledge, right? I mean, that's right. And and you, not that you have to be known by name, but maybe, oh, you're you're the person who came up with the idea that Luke Skywalker is going to be Kylo Ren in the new Star Wars movie. Like having that claim to something is important. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and, and in academia, it's kind of all about that. Like, it's all about what you write. And now, now, some people think that, like, kind of this public stuff that I and some other people do is um, not, like, 
worth reading. Or, <laughs> that's or that's what I'm trying to steer you to. So should, right. should but, Young Academics blog, Thomas, or tweet? Or oh, yeah, that's right. We had this Facebook. whole thing. That's right. That was the whole thing that blew up at the conference. See? See what I did there? I got you there. Thank I'm you. That was excited. great. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you, you, are, you are leading me to water, and I'm now going to drink. Um, <laughs> I'm writing that down. So apparently, and I didn't get to go, but I was getting tagged like a number of times on Twitter about this. But apparently at the conference, there was a a panel on blogging. And apparently it was a bunch of like kind of, you know, established professors that are bloggers that basically all came down to the conclusion that grad students shouldn't blog. Now, as I've read more afterward and, and heard from some of the people that were actually on the panel it maybe was not that cut and dry. Um, you know, some were saying, hey, there, there are real kind of things you should think about here. Um, you know, there are legitimate risks, so to speak, in this. Uh, but I am obviously a huge proponent of everybody blogging. I mean, the reality is way more people read any single piece that I write for Marginalia than will likely read any all the academic pieces that I write for the rest of my career. That's a good point. Combined. Yeah. So, you know, if it's about, like, actually teaching and educating people, um, then what I'm doing there has a much broader impact than what I'm doing in journals or even in books, right? Yeah, but um, but they're not paying for that. They're just reading it online, and anyone can write online. So, I mean, Thomas, you're competing with Donald Trump's tweets in a way, right? I mean, or, or you're well, competing yeah. with the Mother I mean, Jones article. Yeah, I guess in a way, I mean, the thing, like, I don't know, I mean, I don't know, people don't want to hear, like, my whole spiel about why I write for Marginalia and what I think we do in the niche that I think we, like, we have our clear lane, I think. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it is, to some degree, right, democratized in that sense. I, I think that there's a problem that kind of everything now that gets posted online gets called a blog. Um. I think that's that's a very kind of intentional way of belittling it. Um, but I also, like I tweeted out this morning, I was watching a Facebook thread, a conversation in a Facebook thread that was, you know, pretty heated disagreement that kind of morphs into, here's a fantastic book proposal to kind of deal with this topic, right? And so it's like, this is kind of how, like we see, quote unquote, like real academic uh, scholarship coming out of a Facebook thread. Um, and that's just the world in which we live now. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I'm a huge proponent of uh, tenure and promotion committees thinking more outside the box, you know, as, particularly as digital humanities continues to grow. And um, so we have more like Carrie Schroeder, right? She's doing fantastic work with um, Coptic script, Scriptorium, you know, it's a fantastic website. I mean, you know, her, her group won an NEH grant. Um, yeah, but she's a tenured professor. Right, exactly. Um, but would she, would she have, you know, written that before she was Would she have tenured? been able to do that before and that's she was tenured? question because she's not here. But, um, but, but, I mean, I, like, this is a very real thing she thinks about, too, right? I know um, yeah, from yeah. conversations we've had, right? Um, but, and I've had conversations with other people, too, kind of how does online publishing get equated as tenure. And the, the reality is, right, all blog posts aren't written the same. But this idea that we have that, um, like, peer review is the is the great equalizer, it's just, I mean, in a lot of cases, it's just not true, 
right? We see plenty of peer-reviewed articles that, are, that just stink. I mean, they're just horrible. But it counts toward tenure, counts as scholarship, legitimate scholarship, because it went through this, you know, this process of peer review. You know, not to mention the fact that this is like just humans doing this. So you get two people to read an article, hopefully, if they can find two people to read this. And they're supposed to read it in six or eight weeks. They wait six months and they pick it up and like and they skim through it. Oh, well, uh, this is great because it kind of sounds, you know, it quotes me. So I think this is great. And then pass it on. I mean, this is, I've also heard stories, uh, actually a number of them when I was in Atlanta at SBL, of editors not, like, not ever actually reading the articles and deciding, I don't want to have to deal with finding reviewers. Um, I skimmed it. It seems fine. I'm going to sit on this for a couple months and then I'll just say accepted. <laughs> really? Like legitimately. And these are like, you know, uh, prestigious journals in the field. And so a lot of times I, I think some of the writing that we see online is actually better quality than some of the quote unquote academic pieces. Not to mention the fact the um, how it speeds up the process of engagement. Well, but but academics are, are not meant to be sped up. You know, it's like government. It works best when it's slow, you know. I mean, in some cases, right, but with the, the whole gospel of Jesus' wife thing, I mean, it was bloggers that basically took the whole thing down and kind of said, no, this actually really looks like a forgery, and here's why. And, like, people doing what, what by all estimations, is legitimate scholarly work. Yeah, right? but, it's, but it's also Reddit that leads people to, you know, false assumptions about who the Boston bomber is during the marathon, you know, and they— they find these guys and they're sure of it and they call the police and they raid this poor guy's house and he had nothing to do with bombing because right. Reddit said that was the guy. Based right, on but, right, but the, the problem with saying like, oh, well, Reddit and, you know, Carrie Schroeder are both producing things on the internet <laughs> and so what Carrie Schroeder produces isn't good is also the same thing as saying like, well, people are writing reviews of books like legitimately in the review of biblical literature, SBL's book review arm, which is having a lot of issues. Um, but like, I mean, and they're, they're not peer reviewed or anything like that. These reviews aren't, sure. but they're writing reviews and there's a, about books that are, you know, and some of the reviews are saying, well, basically this person doesn't think Jesus is Lord. Like, how does that count? Right. I mean, so it's a lot of things that kind of pass for good academic scholarship just are not. And, but that doesn't belittle the work that's produced in the same outlets that actually is good academic scholarship. So how do you see this playing out in, in 10 years? I mean, do you see, because the world's going to change a whole lot uh, with, with VR and AI and, and with the nature of scholarship. I mean, good Lord, with the nature of universities, as we've seen uh, this year with, uh, right. you know, the, the, the UC Davis and yeah, Missouri and et cetera. Right. You know, so how do you, think uh that's going to play out you know is is there going to be a place for peer-reviewed journals as being kind of the the kind of the ultimate uh career advancement step or is that going to be something like no you know you've got a blog and you tweet about this stuff or whatever i i think i don't think we're going to see kind of really like the demise of peer-reviewed journals or anything like that um now, there's a whole other issue that we probably don't have time to tackle with kind of what's going on there and the, the for-profit nature of the journal, the academic journal industry. That's a whole other issue. But because um, I do think, right, that, that, that it really is good that sometimes you really do need to sit on some, a project for a really long time, right? Work on it for a really long time to kind of flesh out 
Uh, we really have time to kind of think about it and work through some of the ideas. I think that's great um, and necessary. But I don't think that's the only way that we can produce, quote unquote, scholarship. I think what's going to happen is it's going to be people like Kerry Schroeder and and other people of a, quote unquote, younger generation as they move into um, positions where they are evaluating tenure, they're going to be the ones that have to change the system from inside. Now, the problem with that is that there are fewer and fewer positions and tenure is becoming less and less common. And so it's kind of hard to fix a system that seems, in, in a lot of respects, as if the whole system itself is dying. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's one way it's going to happen is, is it's going to be people that are doing this work themselves that recognize that, hey, what I'm doing is legitimate scholarly work. And when I see this in somebody else's portfolio, I see it also as legitimate scholarly work. Um, the best way for this to happen will be for, say, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, etc., to make these changes first and to make these changes public um, because they have the kind of cultural capital to do that where other people that might have wanted to follow them will uh, maybe have a little bit of cover to do that. Yeah, we said the same thing about like uh, like MOOCs, you know, like uh, online classes. And we, we've seen MIT and Stanford and Yale lead the way, uh, you know, in, in a good uh, sense of the word uh, in terms of opening up their classes and putting a lot of their stuff either on iTunes U or even on YouTube. I mean, Yale puts a lot of stuff up there. Um, you know, I've, I've taken an astronomy class through iTunes U, uh, through Yale, and I thought it was great. But it hasn't really caught on like we all thought it would in 2010. Right. And- no, that's true. But, but I think the difference there is that MOOCs are just in general a bad idea. I mean, this is this is like not scholarly at all. Show title, right? Yeah, um, and, I, and I think people are realize like I don't know, like people had these just insane ideas about what MOOCs could do and how they were going to transform education, and mostly it was administrators and like celebrity professors that thought that, right? Right, and then they thought, okay, I can get this out to the maximum number of people with the least amount of resources. Right. Um, it wasn't it wasn't the vast majority of people that are in the classroom day in and day out with university students uh, that thought, no, this is really a great idea. Um, so I, I you know, I see that as kind of the system working. Um, but I, I see what you're saying. But but the other thing you see there, right, is what happened is that people did follow Harvard, MIT, et cetera, in that. I mean, uh, you know, I have I've had conversations with people at Gardner Webb, right? The the small school in Western North Carolina where you and I went for our masters, um, about kind of the MOOCs and and how they were dealing with that and uh, conversations they're legitimately having, um, or they were anyway a few years ago. So people were following these larger schools in that regard. Now I think the whole industry we're seeing that it had a lot of other problems that a lot of people were talking about for a long time that finally surfaced. Um but with what I think is a good idea. Now I do happen to just agree with this, but you know, uh, broadening our understanding of which kind of scholarship, particularly for issues of tenure and promotion. Um, I think again, it, the, the fastest way to have that happen is to, is to, um, have it, you know, be, have these large 
universities with large name cachet uh, to kind of do it very publicly. Yeah. Maybe. I, I just wonder. Um, I mean, honestly, the next – and coming at – looking at this from, from a uh, sort of techno-philosophical point of view, the next 10 to 15 years are, are going to be insanely transformative uh, in, in terms of things like artificial intelligence in ways that we can't comprehend. And when we look back on this period 200 years from now – it's going to either go one of two ways where, number one, <clears throat> that artificial intelligence it did really well for itself. And if something isn't on the web or on the Internet, then it doesn't exist. You know, and, and before 20, you know, 02 or 2002 or whatever, when people really started contributing to the web um, in terms of blogs and, you know, pictures, and then we get MySpace and then we get uh, Facebook and then we get selfies and then we get Instagram and all that uh, before that period it's going to be like a dark age you know so it's kind of like today where we say oh I wonder I wonder what Alexander the Great looked like you know we have these statues but we really don't know and I, I wonder you know what my great 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 grandfather was like because I have there's no memory of that and it's not that long ago historically right and I should be able to have access to that information, but I have no—I mean, I barely have information about my own great grandfather, um, which is strange, you know. But he lived seventy-something years, and he had a life, and he had a wife, and he had kids, and I'm here because of him. But I have no information and no link to that. So either things are going to go that way, or they're going to go the way of all these formats and all this Facebook information and all these tweets and all these blogs are going to be very ephemeral because. We're not going to keep up with the standards because these are all, you know, corporate entities right. and all that's going to disappear. And it's only the stuff like in this notebook or in my books or on paper that's going to survive. So print out all, your, all of your photos because if you want your great-great-grandkids to be able to see what you looked like when you were 30, then make sure that you have pictures of those uh, things printed out somewhere on paper. And, I mean, it, it could be an either-or situation, but I, I really do think or, it's going to be yeah. – or yeah. both and, yeah. Right. So, uh, uh, in terms of scholarship, in that regard, I, I think it's either going to be if it's not on the internet, it's, if it's not on like an archive.org type thing, um, like uh, what's like the physics site? You know, have you seen that? Uh, no. What is it? It's uh, I think it's arx. Yeah, arxiv.org. It's it's by Cornell. Here, I'll put it in the robot for you. Where's Skype? Where's Skype? Yeah, arxiv.org. Uh, it's an open source uh, physics... Um, there we go. Journal. And this has been around for a long time. So when I was teaching middle school, uh, middle school science, I would always send my kids to uh, this site to try to get them engaged with scholarly stuff. But it, basically, anyone could put up an article, but it it's got kind of this quasi peer review, quasi um, rating system attached to it. So very legit physicists will post their stuff here first before they take it over to you know the journal Nature or something like that. And uh, it, it's to me, I, I think this is kind of the way forward, kind of this hybrid approach between uh, peer review, but also you know, the Wikipedia style, which I don't think is going to survive either. 
Um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I think um, I think it's going to be a both and, honestly. Because I think on one hand, right, most of the research that people are, like academics are doing even is they are often searching in online databases like Atla and JSTOR and, you know, things like that. Um, <clears throat> and so if... And you know, JSTOR, database, which, you know, which, right, which yeah. uh, killed one of our generation's great thinkers, uh, Aaron, I'm blanking on his last name. You know, he was a kid who, not kid, he was a, you know, quote hacker, but he was a, a very uh, brilliant well-intentioned guy who set up a laptop as a demonstration in a in a closet at Harvard to download JSTOR articles and put them up into uh, GitHub so that anyone yeah. could have access to that information. And the FBI completely went after him. And Harvard's since apologized for it. And the kid ended up killing himself at age 26. But he was a transformative guy in terms of web technologies that we use today that are powering all of this stuff. So it's, you know, it's kind of a... Uh, blessing and a curse, if you will. But yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step in there. But yeah, um, that idea of, of, of open, closed source. Is right. Well, JSTOR. I think too, I mean, the kind of open uh, access movement is growing by the day. Now, there's a price to be paid. Um, and generally, it's a price to be paid by the author that wants their stuff to be open access. Um but I, I think we're seeing that movement grow. I think that's going to affect things. Um, but I'm I'm hopeful, right? I mean, I'm with you, right? I'm all about. I mean, this is why I, you know, I encourage people. You need to print out your Twitter stream once a month. Um, not really, but I do tell people that I do that, even though I don't, right? Because like we're gonna have this digital dark age, and we're not gonna be able to, you know, see it. So like. Hopefully, historians somewhere, you know, three hundred years down the road, will find my Twitter stream and reconstruct all of early twenty first century America based on my Twitter stream. Like that's that's my that's my goal now, and kind of my le, like my legacy. Um, I mean, that's the thing; it's not going to be historians <laughs> in, in that regard. I, I honestly think you're going to be able to go up to, uh, you're going to be in a, in a pizza place with your synthetic pizza, and you're going to say, "I want to hear a concert by Tom Petty," and maybe you've never heard. Tom Petty music, but this animatronic android robot thing will play right. you a full concert by Tom Petty because it is able to take all the stuff from YouTube and all the stuff that we're throwing into the web and synthesize that. And then maybe you can ask Tom Petty, like, hey, Tom, so when you wrote, you don't have to live like a refugee. Like, what were you talking about? Like, when you, when you made that video, which is an awesome video from the 1980s that's on MTV that I've seen on the internet archives... You know, how, how did that go? Was that fun? Did you have fun working with Jeff Lyons? And then, you know, Tom will sit there and talk to you like it's really Tom Petty. Right. And, I mean, that sounds weird, but I really think we're heading in that Oh, yeah. Direction. I mean, certainly, right, there are, you know, they're doing holog hologram shows now of certain, like, really famous artists that are dead and stuff like that. Right. But, but, on, your, but your grandfather's yeah. not going to be in there, you know, or your great, or, you know, your, your, right. your, right. maybe your son, whoever, not that you have kids. I shouldn't talk about that because I, I know that. <laughs> There was that time in Mexico. Never mind. Um, so uh, with my kids, so, so say my kids, you know, eschews the internet and never contributes anything, and I take all the pictures I have of him off of Facebook and everywhere else, and 
he's not on the web in 200 years from now, will he exist? You know, that's, that's kind of the, the question. And not that that's the ultimate end to anything right. and not that it matters, but I don't know what makes us human and why should we study humans? Yeah. Well, I'm also hopeful that like, I mean, isn't it Bill Gates is kind of working on this initiative to, I think it was Gates, right. To make sure that kind of the, uh, platform standards, protocols, et cetera, are that we can continue to access them. Right, like is that Bill Gates really? Is it? I I think he he has this whole thing. He's like working on. Maybe it's not. Maybe I mean it's some like famous, really rich guy that it like has this initiative. No, it's maybe it's not Gates. Who is it? It's Bill Gates. (laughs) Well, I don't know. This is your area. You're the tech guy. (laughs) I was going to say Bill Gates hates hates open standards. Um, I I mean, there's a couple of these that I don't know. Anyway, so whoever it is that's doing that right i think that's a that's a legitimate thing that needs to be done like like the and, internet archive you know like so you right. can go back to any site basically well right? i mean yeah i mean if it crawled it and all that i mean there, there are issues with the internet archive too right but sure i mean it doesn't have everything but um but also it's also it also does it's also not able to um keep things in the way that they were originally necessarily all the time right oftentimes um it has them kind of in, in a very flat format. Yeah, it depends which on the is, CSS. Right, which is going to be a particular problem with the way you know, sites are being designed now. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> because of JavaScript so, and Node.js, right. Right, exactly. So what you need is you need, um, when you're building new platforms, they need to have baked into them the ability to um, you know, convert, understand, etc., earlier protocols. So that, uh, I mean, not to go completely nerdy, but I think this is something academics would like as well um just like you like to print out your your pages in a standard format or you always like to get your your uh papers from your students and times new roman size 12 or whatever right the same thing could go with tech so a lot of the sort of futuristic tech people i follow the futurist if you will uh always talk about having an html just pure html version of your site available um because that's a, a standard format that's going to survive because it came out of the CERN in Switzerland, which is, you know, Science Institute. Right. You know, it wasn't written by Facebook or Google or Twitter or whatever. And something like HTML is something that can be uh, interpreted in a very simplistic way. You know, it's it's almost math, almost mathematical in, in how you can take something that looks like this and make it into this and say, oh, that's what that looked like. So a, a lot of these futurists I follow have very simple HTML-looking websites, and they're hosted at Harvard and Yale and MIT. Uh, and I have – actually, my blog, part of my blog is backed up at Yale because they offer this for, for uh, alumni. So I'm able to occasionally go in and, and upload parts of my blog into, into that. Not that I feel like <laughs> you know my stuff should be archived by Yale, which is kind of weird in <laughs> itself. But – uh, I do want my grandkids to be able to hear my voice, you know, and I would love for them to listen to this podcast and say, God, granddad was an idiot. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, <laughs> but, okay. But so on one hand, yes, that makes sense. But on the other hand, like what's to say that HTML remains that kind of standard format? Well, it doesn't, but, but, but it's, but it's, uh, it's open and ostensible in, in the sense of you can, it's like math, you know, it's like one plus one is going to be two. Right or there's you know binary there's one or zero, um, and it, we can get into the whole idea of math being conceptual in itself and whether math exists as a truth or not. I don't think it does, uh, but in, in the sense of 
having kind of a code base that generates a format that looks like something close to the original, you can have that in the same way that you can take a text and say, okay, well, uh, you know, here's the opening that Paul was writing. Here's, you know, the, the salutation, here's this, uh, you know, right. address, here's the closing. All right. So you have kind of a format. So if you have something in a, in a somewhat quasi standard format, you can reconstitute that in some form. And if enough of that exists, you can say, okay, well, these people at the beginning of the 21st century had this format where it looked like this, at least for 20 or 30 years, uh, in the same way that we do with Paul's letters. Yeah, but of course, I mean, Not the word this whole, like, I think this is a good question, but this whole question, like, in kind of a large sweep of history scope, um, is probably irrelevant, right? Sure, sure. But I mean, you, like, most of it is going to be lost. Yeah. It doesn't matter what we do. <laughs> right. Like, 99.9% of it is going to be lost, no matter what we do, I think. Uh, unless so, there's a way to to sort of freeze things or, or extract the pure text from them. Even text files, like .txt files. I've got text files from the early 90s uh, that I wrote for papers that I can't open. Um partly because right. they're on zip disks or three and a half floppies. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, you know, and, and I guess you could buy those on eBay now, but I don't know how to hook those up into a Mac. Um, but, yeah, again, keep your notebooks because we can still read Leonardo's notebooks even though he's writing backwards. Right, well, that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like, we have Paul's letters because, like, actual physical manuscripts survived. And we know, you know, stuff about like the Roman world and the Greek world because like their statues survived and and it also helps that oh, by the way, like they live in a fairly arid climate, you know, like this is why it's tons of stuff survive in Egypt a lot longer than they survive everywhere else because it's just so dry and that really helps things survive. So I mean there's all these other factors that are at play, right? Uh, about whether our stuff survives or not. I, I think it's more it's more important. It, it's a it's a more short term, a more near term question of in 10 years, are we going to be able to access our data from now? Right. Which but, is but something we need to be able to do. It is. It is, especially in, in the academy. And that's kind of what I'm – I agree with you that we should all have things on paper. If anything's going to survive from this era, it's the uh, – I'm looking at 30 Star Wars figures on my daughter's it's those shelf here. Yeah, they're made out plastic. of plastic probably. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to dig up these things and say, what the hell? They were worshiping this guy with a black uh, – Right. They're going to be yeah, – yeah, so you're going to they're going to start talking about like your household shrine. And... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean this really looks like a household shrine to be honest because she's got all the movies and there's stickers and yeah, there's uh, – and there's books that could be, you know, Bibles for this Darth Vader guy. I don't know. Uh, so there's, there's that. But also um, – the, yes, there's, there's the the short term, but if you can digitize something, if you can take something and turn it into ones and zeros, you do have a hope that it can survive into the future if you get it out of proprietary formats. So if it's in Node.js, no, it's not going to survive. Uh, if it's in CSS, it's not going to survive. But if it's in some sort of a, a format where you can say, here is the, the constituent matter, here's the, the DNA, the ones and the zeros of this content then there's a hope that as we progress in our technological advancements and formats, whatever, you know, from zip disks to floppy disk to this, to this, to this, to Google Drive, uh, you can transfer that information. Um, I don't want to put my stock in that because then you run into the situation like we have now where there's no Gospel of Mark. 
you know, we have later interpretations of what maybe once was a gospel of Mark, if there was a gospel right. of Mark, right? Yeah. Um, if, if we found Sam's notebook, we would have Sam's notebook, but Sam's notebook is all in Evernote, uh, which is behind two-factor authentication. So when I die, that's going to go away, just like my blog, because I'm paying for monthly hosting. And if I'm not right. paying for the monthly hosting after I die, it's probably going to go into the ether. Um, but if I have my notebook, my notebook, you know, it's going to make it for a few decades, maybe hundreds of years. Uh, if it gets buried in the Columbia sand, who knows? Um, so that's, you know, that's, yeah. that's the real thing, especially with academics. So yes, these things like archive.org and, and the... Uh, physics archive we were talking about are great, but what does that mean for the longevity of this knowledge? Are we going to lose this just like like with, you know, the, the Archimedes palimpsests and those types of yeah. things? Well, that, and that's a good question, too, because you're thinking about, like, when you read, you know, books or articles and they cite something and you want to track it down, the point of that is to be able to actually like track down the source that they're referencing and if it's a, if it's a digital source then the likelihood of that being able to do that in even a year or two is fairly unlikely right you, we need permalinks and, and we need we need good services for that type of stuff um but you know how does that hinder scholarship i think that's a good question right i can still like go might be hard to do but i can still get you know i quote a number of 19th century texts or I cite a number of 19th century texts in my dissertation. I can still like get the physical books delivered to my library and look at them, right? But um, you know, if it's a, like a podcast or whatever, and somebody cites it, like how are they going to be able to access that? You and know, and I wanna, see this. Every they want to see, day. okay, oh, well, he yeah. cited this podcast. Let me right. see what the podcast said, and you know, see if he interpreted it correctly or whatever. Yeah, and in in my marketing business. Uh, <laughs> There's this great plugin for WordPress that you can install called Broken Links Detector or something like that, where if you've linked to something and that something is no longer there, you get an alert that says, hey, you should unlink this because over time in aggregate, Google will penalize you for having lots of links to things that don't exist, which is kind of sad. Uh, but I mean, every day on my personal blog, and I've only I've only had stuff on that personal blog since 2006. I mean, I've been blogging for longer than that but on that blog I, I get at least five links a day that all of a sudden are, are gone and if you think about that over time it's like holy cow that's only a 10 year old blog that I've been linking out to things and now you know two three four or five things every day are, are going away going away going away that's sad and yeah that information might exist somewhere on someone's server but you know if, if you're putting all of your academic eggs in that basket and saying I'm putting all of my research online and I'm not going to keep a hard copy or whatever not that anyone would realistically right. do that but you know I've heard people talk about that uh, I don't know you know you might yeah. want to you might want to print print out your dissertation and have it bound and published by Harrelson Press <laughs> just a suggestion right? just just throwing that out there yeah <laughs> right. well I do have like I have multiple printed drafts of my dissertation uh, just in case, right? At, at different stages too. Yeah, like I mean, the, just the in case. Like if I today. lose everything, right. like it's gonna suck. But I can sit down and look at these pages and retype it all. Yeah. And someone can find those pages, and you know, a thousand years, and say, "Well, these people were thinking about the carpet creations. Uh, that's pretty interesting. Maybe we should get back in time and and try to reconstruct what they look like." By the way, I had a 
had a crazy dream the other night about you, Thomas. Really? So, yeah. So <laughs> I asked to read a copy of your of your dissertation, and you you flipped a lid, and you got really upset, and you're like, "No, you're you're going to post it. You're going to put up on Dropbox and make it available for everyone to read it." <laughs> this is a real dream I had, <laughs> and uh, I kind of woke up like feeling terrible. I was like, "I should text Tom." No, that was a dream. <laughs> right. Anyway, yeah. Like I'm not really going to do it. <laughs> right. That's funny. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, and that's a very real thing too, right? How much of your scholarship do you put out before it gets, before it's published? And yeah, that's another thing if you don't so, five years ago, I'd say throw it all up there. Of course, you know, throw spaghetti at the wall. This is public domain. You're you're learning about the past. That should be. Yeah, there's that, the but comments. then there's also like if it's out there, then like publishers aren't going to want to publish it, well, because it's already available in another format. It is a is a thing you have to deal with a lot, or. Well, Another thing you have to deal with is if you put it out there, and I've heard a ton of stories about this, is people will just wholesale, wholesale steal your ideas. Yeah, I was going to say that, that's more likely. Right. And that, that's, that's the other thing. And so like you'll notice in the vast majority of the writing I do online, I don't talk about my scholarship, like my actual scholarship at all, hardly. I, I did you know one piece for Ancient Jew Review, uh, kind of an extended introduction to my project, um, and I've mentioned it briefly. Uh, like on the church history blog for the American Society of Church History. Um, but that's it. And in and in very kind of not detailed ways generally, um, mainly to, you know, keep my information, my information until I'm able to publish it and get credit for it. Well, I mean, I, I think in some ways, yes, but um, I'm trying to think of how to say this in in regards to putting your stuff out there. Um, well, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just, I'm just trying to, to make a holistic approach there. Cause you know, like I said, originally I would say, no, you should put it all out there. It's, it's the commons and we should all be able to have that information. And right. But there, but there's this other kind of extra economic layer added onto it. Right. Right. It's right. in the Academy that they like, you have to get credit for it. For it to count, or you have to get it published in a certain press or a certain journal for it to get credit for it to count toward tenure and things like that. And so I, I think, like, once that's done, like you've, you've done the kind of traditional thing, then I'm all for putting it out there, right? Put it, hosting it on my own website. Like, anybody can, you know, I'll put up, you know, basically, even without open access, even non open access journals will generally allow you to post like pre, pre press um, versions and stuff like that. Um, so I have no problem posting all of that out there. Um, now with a book, I don't know. Like you want people to buy the book, <laughs> right? but I mean, it, but, okay. So so take the Martian. You know, Andy uh, Weir, right? W e i r, I think. So you know, he put it out as an open novel. Like he published, yeah, the novel for free, and you could go to his website and download chapters as he wrote them, and it got really popular. And people said you should put this up on Amazon as a Kindle. Uh, you know, self-published thing. So he did that. It got even more popular. So then it became, you know, the Martian novel, which became even more popular. It became an audiobook, And now it's, you know, a movie with Matt Damon that right. did really, really well. And he's never going to have to work again because he published his stuff on the web for free. Right. But, but the difference there is the, is the structure, right? So, so what he needed to make it, so to speak, was for his work to get popular. What academics need to make it in the academy is not that. It's actually 
completely irrelevant whether their work is popular or not. It's for, for the academy purposes, right? Which is, I think, counterintuitive and not right. But this is just how the system is. And so you have to understand how the system works. And so it, it doesn't matter if, like, I can put up a chapter of my dissertation on the carpet creations and, you know, thousands of people or whatever, 100,000 people think it's brilliant and want, to, want me to do an audiobook version of it. Like, that would be fine, I guess, though it's not going to happen. Um, but, like, what would that get me as far as the academy is concerned? Probably nothing. So, so I, I think we also have to look at these kind of these uh, economic structures as well, right? And, and 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 see how that plays into it. Yeah, that is interesting because, and I, I think it's a great thing that the academy still is is slow moving in that regards, and not in terms of you know the politics and and gender issues and that kind of thing, but right. in terms of, of, you know, thinking about issues um, that, you know, academics should be thinking about um, along with the societal and cultural things that they, you know, I mean, it, it's a hard uh, middle ground there to be in, but it's something that, um, you know, should be expected. But I wonder, like, as you said at the beginning of this, as kind of this quote, new generation comes into the academy, you know, these people who are early 30s, 40s are entering into professorships, how that's going to, how that's going to change things, um, you know, in terms of finding jobs or, or, or you know, finding the, the validity of being a scholar in, in the public or being a scholar um, for the journals. So it's, I don't know, I, I think that's a fascinating topic. <laughs> on, on top of all the societal and cultural things that professors shouldn't, and, and have to deal with. Um, right. And, and of course, like the other aspect is like, I mean, so for instance, the writing that I'm doing online has helped more people within the academy know me. So like, that's not a bad thing, right? Kind of building my brand, right? Which obviously, you know, I think is important. And I had a number of conversations at SBL with people about this and, and how important I, how important I think branding is. I think it always has been for academics, but I think a lot of acad- most academics think they're kind of above it. Yeah, they shy away uh, from that uh, totally. And yeah. I mean, same thing with my wife and and like pastors and ministers. Right. It's like this. No, no, I, I'm not going to do that because otherwise you end up like Joel Osteen, and, <laughs> right? And, you know, Jimmy Swagger or whatever. And like, uh, yeah, but no, you know, there there are nice ways right. to do that. Or in the you know in the academy, I mean, people like Bart Ehrman get or John Cross and get a lot of slack for you know, putting themselves out there into the, you know, public. Yeah, but the, the reality is most of it, I mean, I, I think basically all of it is just jealousy, right? Um, Like, they're jealous that Bart Ehrman's famous and that they're not, right? So, I mean, yeah. I, I think that's what, I basically, I think that's what most of it was. So now we have, you know, Market Acre and, and Professor Moss and, you know, those people who are, are kind of taking up the 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 torch of, of being public but also being, you know, good scholars. Right, I mean, and, and in different ways. I mean, the two of them are you know different, but oh, yeah, I'm yeah, not comparing but, them to Barton or but, Professor. Right, right. I mean, yeah, and they all like they're they're all different, do different things. But yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, but yes, kind of as being you know quote unquote public intellectuals, which some people hate. Um, I don't think it's really that bad of a term at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, so there's that too. Like, I, I think that's a that's another kind of very real aspect you have to think about is, and another reason that you know kind of bring it all back around that I think it is important that grad students are blogging 
um, because in the market the way that it is, like you have to have some way to stand out. Now, the reality is, you know, I'll be able to say in a couple of years whether it worked for me or not. Like, if I don't get a job for a number of years down the road, it clearly didn't work for me. Um, <laughs> but you know, I do know that more people in the academy know who I am because of what I do online, um, and that would seem to be a positive thing, right? That that that's that's what I would think. Um, and and at least generally, at least I've not heard anybody saying you know that they know me because they hate what I do and what I do is horrible and all that type of stuff. There might be people saying that it's just not gotten back to me yet. So yeah, I agree. All right. Well, in in that regard, I know we have to wrap up, but um, well, should should we? We and there's some. Oh, this could be an evergreen show. I mean, we could save this for <laughs> some time yeah. when there's no topical news. Uh, but in the last couple of weeks, there's been uh, you know a couple of or many terrible uh, events from the Paris shootings to uh, the Planned Parenthood shooting to uh, you know the San Bernardino shootings. Um, anyway, we we were going to talk about prayer shaming. I think for the majority yeah. of the show, and we ended up going off on on this tangent which i think is very healthy and, and a good conversation to have but did you want to say anything about that or do we want to uh, save I, that I for next time <laughs> right, i wrote about it so you can read what i wrote we'll drop a link down in the show notes what yeah, i wrote I'm, I'm sorry to, know what i think that's fine um <laughs> i'm sorry to cut uh, you off from that i just thought no that's fine a, I, honestly a, i'm just disappointed that we couldn't use like prayer shaming prayer great prayer gazi right all that stuff <laughs> prayer gazi did someone really use that no, I, I don't know, but I hope it's like I did. I don't know. So, yeah, someone really used it, Sam. You created it. Ergazi. Yeah. Wow. Uh, anyway, yeah, the whole prayer shaming thing, it's interesting. I wrote a little bit about it, kind of. I didn't really touch on the prayer shaming aspect a little bit. If anything, I think I'm complicit in the prayer shaming and whatever. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's you know, I was kind of tongue-in-cheek about that when I, I posted that myself. Because, you know, I mean, I, I don't think, anyway. We can go into that later. Um, but yes, I, I think there's... Ugh. And, we, and we, we haven't talked about politics in a month. We're not going to go into politics, but... That, that's okay. I mean, we have we have wow. primary starting in February. We have plenty of time to talk about politics. So <laughs> uh, Anyway, we are, we are back, and hopefully better than ever. Probably not. But in, nonetheless, we are back. Um, we are going to... Uh, hopefully, th- we'll see how the holidays work out. We we'll have to take a week or so off, but we're going to try to keep it as consistent as possible. Uh, thank you for sticking with us uh, through this time. I know that it has been just probably the worst month of your life without listening to us every week. I've heard that. Um, I've heard that. But remember, you can always follow us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Thomas Whitley. Sam is at Sam Harrelson uh, to get the like the tweet storm that I had today that delayed the beginning of our recording because I told Sam, I need to finish my tweet storm. Uh, you can get all that on Twitter, where the magic happens. 21st century problems. Exactly. Uh, and as always, you can find more great shows at thinking.fm. <laughs>